13 years now. Today's reading will be from Ephesians 2, 13 through 22. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Excellent. Thanks, Weston. Uh, my name is Zach Thompson. I'm on staff here at Calvary, and it should hopefully come as little surprise to you. If nothing else, from uh, if you know nothing about me, you can see that, that I am here today. It should come as little surprise that I love the church. I, I mean, sure, it's been a place of some of the greatest hurts in my life, that there's been plenty of opportunities where I've questioned, do I, do I want to keep going back to it? But I'm so grateful for the reminders that it's the place of my greatest joy and camaraderie and friendship and support and encouragement as well. I I love seeing new churches. I love seeing other churches. I mean, sure, there's there's a part of me, and I really dislike that this part of me is there, uh, where I evaluate other churches. Oh, I I would never do that thing. How could they be a real church and have that kind of music or this kind of focus or, or whatever it might be? But I'm so grateful for the reminders that I have as well that where the gospel is rightly preached, where people are following Jesus, that there's nothing better than that, regardless of what building they're in. And, and I mean, sure, like, that even as a pastor, as someone who works at this church, there, there are plenty of Sundays where I wake up and I would like to be doing something different. Uh, my, my favorite soccer team is playing in exactly uh, uh, 32 minutes from now, and, and it would be so great to grab a breakfast burrito and watch that. That would be a really fun morning for me. Uh, or or there's, there's just uh, so many things that get added onto my calendar, and man, it would be a really convenient place if I could do that on Sunday morning. Or uh, there, there's, there's just so much stuff to do around the house, and wouldn't it just be easier to stay in and, and, and try to get some of this done so I could be set for the work week ahead? Or, or, or even just the fact that I, I'm tired. It's been a long week, so coming here and, and, and uh, leaving the house even doesn't sound like the best of times. Or even just there's some weeks that are hard. And so to come here and be surrounded by people and sing happy songs doesn't seem like what I would want to be doing. And yet I'm so grateful for the reminders that, that it's God's word that is my nourishment for the week ahead. I'm so grateful for the ability to have others sing around me to lift me up when I don't have a song. I'm, I'm so grateful for, for the reminders that we have here that God's not just working in this one moment, but he's working in the week before in all my life. And so we have this opportunity to respond to God's work that we come here as we're surrounded by other people who are, are feeling the same ways, and yet we can find people who help lift us up. And that is why I love the church so much. 
and other reasons. I'm not done right there. We're, we have the rest of our time together. So lots of other reasons still to come. Uh, we, we've been in the series that we're calling This We Believe, looking at what are the core truths that we hold to as a church? What do we believe to be true? And we, we started all the way back at, at the beginning of summer. Uh, really bad news to, to the kids in here. Summer is almost done, and I'm so sorry about that. But back at the beginning of summer, uh, we looked at uh, the first thing that we hold to be true, which is God's word, that the Bible is authoritative for life. It speaks what is true. We listen to it for instruction and guidance in all things. I mean, it's why we have Ephesians 2 read to us before I say anything. We want God's word to guide us in what we are looking at for the rest of this time. And then we spent the next uh, few weeks looking at God. God, the Father, the, the Son, the Spirit, uh, that, that they are the three persons, but, but still one God, but not mushed together so they lose their identity, but they're distinct, but not divided, but united, that this is our God. And in and of himself, before he's done any work, just by his nature, he's worthy of all praise and, and allegiance. Just, just by who he is, he is worthy of all that we have, let alone the fact that he's given us life so we seek to him for direction for life. And yet, we haven't done that. All humans, from the very first humans to all of us, have turned away from God. And yet God pursued us, that he rescued us, that he saved us from our sin. But not just that he saved us from something, but he's also saved us to something. And that's what Ephesians chapter 2 talks about. I mean, look again at some of the wording that we find in this passage. It talks about how we who were far off have been brought near by the blood of uh, Christ, that he is our peace, that he has uh, made us into fellow citizens, uh, that we are part of the household of God. There's all of these incredible promises that happened in these passages, that he has saved us from our sin and saved us to new life with him. And yet those incredible promises that we read about in Ephesians chapter two, they are things that can't be done alone. That this life that we are saved to in him, the, the incredible promise, the status that we are given because of Jesus is not a life that we can do alone. Look again at the very end, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 21 to 22. It says, in whom the whole structure, this whole body of Christ is being joined together, grows into a holy temple. In Jesus, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Joined together. As we do so, we grow. Built together. There's a lot of together language here. These promises that we, receive, uh, that we hear about here, brought into the household of God, adopted as citizens, we were far off and is brought near. It is something that is done together. As we are saved from our sin and into this new life with him, as we are growing, which 21 says that we are doing, as we grow, it is done so in the state of being joined together. Last week, Pastor Tom was here and he was, he was talking uh, about a lot of these points that, that we see in this passage about what is the church? Why are we part of a church? And as we ask ourselves that question, why are we part of a church? There's, there's a number of answers that we can give. Fortunately for all of us, I'm just gonna focus on three. There's more that we could give, but, but three reasons why we join a church. Pastor Tom said one last week, we join a church because Jesus loves the church. We're part of a church because Jesus loves the church. 
That as we look at the fact that we were far off, but he has brought us near, that, that he has brought peace and reconciliation with God. He has restored this relationship that we've broken. That he saved us from our sin and to this new life. But he doesn't just save us and call us to live this way and leave us there. And Ephesians 2 talks about how he is the cornerstone. He is the vital foundation marker on which all of the church is built. He, he loves this church. He saves us to life, joined together so that we can grow in this church. Elsewhere in the Bible, it, it talks about how the church is the bride of Christ that he laid down his life for. So we love the church because we see Jesus love the church. But we're a part of a church also because it's a place where we can use our gifts. That all of us have been made with dignity and value and worth. That we all have different skills and abilities and interests and passions. And the place where we are, are uh, most flourishing, the place that we are most fulfilled in life is when we are using those gifts that have been given to us for the purpose that they've been given, which is helping one another grow and following Jesus more. We'll talk more about uh, using our gifts next week, but we'll talk a lot more about how we are growing together for the rest of our time this morning. Uh, the third reason why we're part of a church, again, not, not the exclusively here, but, but for our time, the third reason that we're part of a church is because the church is a given as a gift. And the church is given to us as a gift. As, as we look at Ephesians 2 again, joined together, built together, that in that place, that's where we're growing together. That this life that we're called to do is one that we cannot do alone nor are we expected to do so. That we have been joined together. We who were far off have been brought near and joined together. Now, when we talk about how we're joined together, it's not making us into one like congealed blob of people where we lose our separate entities or anything. That's not what it is at all. It, it makes me think about a show that I really liked in college where one of the characters asked for a camera phone. And so uh, the other character gives him one. Uh, but the way that he... he uh, put together this camera phone is he took a camera that they already had and glued it to the back of the phone that the, the character already had. And in so doing, made it so you couldn't put film in or take film out of the camera. They actually did it in a way where you couldn't charge or actually use the phone in any way. And so the joining together of these different things actually ruined them, destroyed these things. That, that's not the picture that we're given with the church. As we are joined together as we are brought near. It is done so for the purpose of us growing together. That us being joined as a church in response to who Jesus is and what he's done, that is the state where we are most, uh, uh, we are living most like how we have always been called to live. That it's when we are joined together that we are able to live in obedience to God in a way that's for our good as well. And when we think about being joined together, it's, it's hard for us to picture that because, man, there are so many things that divide us. There are so many things that keep us separate. The thought of joining together, it's hard to picture. It's either everyone looks exactly the same or everyone is, is yelling at each other. Those are the pictures that we have of joining. Either it's too much or not enough. I mean, think of what divides us in this world. We have politics, different nationalities, sports teams. Oh, I can't, can't be near this guy if he's going to like that team. What we say is the best fast food chicken uh, chain. Like, there's, there's so much that divides us in this life. And yet what we see in Jesus 
is that we are joined together, not by any traits or abilities that we have in ourselves, but it's solely from the work of Jesus. We who were far off have been brought near. As we look at Ephesians 2, these incredible promises that are there of saying, this is who you are now in relationship with God. This is who you are now because of Jesus. These are promises that we cannot receive if we are by ourselves. The passage says that we are joined. How can you be joined to something if, if we are alone? If, if something is, is uh, saying it's joined, but it's just by itself, well, it's not. It's just, it's just sitting there. It's on its own. How, how can we grow together if there is no other people for us to grow with? How can we be united if there are no others around us? The promises of this passage are only realized when we are joined. We grow only when that's done together. Let me explain this another way. If you have a Bible, can you turn with me to John chapter 13? We'll have it on the screen. If you don't have one, there's Bibles. Uh, not, not so much in the back, but just outside of the back uh, this time. We, we moved furniture around. Uh, so we are in John chapter 13. And as we're turning there, let me set some of the stage for this passage. So John 13 acts as, as a bit of a turning point for the book of John. Before this, Jesus has been preaching and doing miracles, all the while facing rejection from his own people, especially from the religious leaders at the time. And so John 13 acts as this pivot point. This is how, how it starts. 13 verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, loved those who are his followers, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So, so we have this changing of language. He knows his hour is coming. He knows the reason for why he came to earth in the first place is coming, which is to die for the sins of the world to be raised to life, to show the power that he has over death, to ascend to the right hand of the Father, to be ruling over all of creation. As Jesus knows that that time is drawing close, he's, it talks about his love that he has for his followers, those at the time and all of those since. And so what Jesus does in John chapter 13 through 17 is he uses these chapters to give instruction on how his followers are to live until the day he returns. Out of his love for them, knowing that he is about to depart this world, he gives all of this instruction essentially on how is the church to be the church. And one of the first instructions that he gives, one of the, the things that he thinks is most vital for his followers to know and to do is given in John 13, starting in verse 31. John 13, 31 says, says this. And he says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is, uh, now is the Son of Man. Now is myself, Jesus, glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. 33, little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus is departing. So what is the message he gives? A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. And Jesus says, my, my time is coming. I'm about to depart. 
And, he, and out of his love for his followers, he doesn't want to leave them aimlessly wandering. Yes, they will live through the empowerment of the Spirit. That's also in this section that will come in just a few chapters after this later. But it's also this encouragement of here's what you are to focus on. And what is one of the first things that he tells to his people? I am leaving. What, what, what do you need to know? What, what do you need to define your lives by after I am gone? It's to love one another. That's what he tells his followers to do. Now, there's a number of reasons that we could say in this text and elsewhere in the Bible as to why we are called to love one another, why we love one another. Uh, the, the first one that we see uh, in this passage and elsewhere is we love one another uh, in response to God's love for us. We love one another in response to God's love for us. Uh, we see this idea very clearly later on in the Bible in uh, 1 John chapter 4, which I, I, I can read for us here. You don't have to turn there. We'll be back to John 13 in a second. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. You see the idea there? Love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the turning away of God's wrath uh, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, then we also ought to love one another. Let's read verse 11 together. It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I mean, this is the same thing that we just saw in John 13, right? Verse 34 uh, said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. And what's the reason for that? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So we love in response to the love that God has for us. That as we see what Jesus has done, that he has shown a love to us in an incomprehensible, unmatched way that has brought to us saving life and saving to new life in him, that in response to that, we love one another. And we might ask why. It seems like it might be a misplacing of love. Jesus is the one who's done all this for us. So as we look at what Jesus has done, it's, it's natural to love him in return for that. But why is there this call to love one another in response to Jesus' love for us? Well, this gets to the second reason. It's a reason that we've already seen in Ephesians chapter 2. We love one another because we have been joined to one another. We love one another because we have been joined. Not two people, but one. You were far off, have been brought near. Built together, growing together. We love one another because we have been joined. As Ephesians 2 showed us. That through Jesus, we have been brought together as different people united. A language that's used elsewhere in the Bible is we are made a new family. Those who know and follow Jesus. Now, I know not everyone has a great relationship with their family, but I think for those that do, or even maybe this works even better for those who, who don't have the best relationship with their family, what is it that keeps, uh, that, that keeps us coming back to them 
What is it that has us spend time together? What is it that has us ask them for help when things are going hard or to be asked for help from, from family? And what is it that, that causes us to spend important days on the calendar together? It's that we are bonded by blood. I, I mean, even as a family member might be doing something that we know is not the best decision for them, even as family has hurt us in the past, we continue to spend time together. We, we might even say phrases like, yeah, but, but they're family. The idea is that we are bonded together by blood, not by hobbies or interests, not, not that this is a person that we might have picked to be part of our life. They might not even be the one that we're closest to, and yet there is a bond together of, of incredible strength because of shared origin. And that's the same truth of the church, that we are joined together by blood, but not by our blood, it's by the blood of Jesus. That we have the same shared origin, that while we might not have all the same interests or hobbies, we, we might not have, have things that, that make us get along all that well, we instead have an incredible bond, incredible relationship that we continue to come back to because we are bonded by blood. Now, the thing with that is we will find in a church people that we might not have picked, just like a family. That if we're designing our ideal church, like who are the people that might make up the perfect picture of a church for us? Well, it's the first thing that comes to mind is, well, music can be contentious, so let's, let's just have everyone like the same kind of music that I do. So there's, there's no complaints, there's no arguments there, and, and wouldn't you know, it's exactly tuned to how I want to be worshiping God through music that it's full of people that I might have similar interests with. Like I can go and talk to someone about hockey and someone about soccer and movies and whatever else I like. Or it's full of people who have the information that I'm lacking. Hey, what do I do about my lawn? And there's someone who knows exactly what I'm supposed to do, and it's great. That it's full of people who have a similar stage of life, that, they, uh, that there's some camaraderie there. That there's a, a pastor who's going to be there who, I don't want a fluff piece every single Sunday, so someone who can challenge me, like, like just enough, just enough so I can go up afterwards like, ah, you know, that really spoke to me, but not too much to where I'm asked to surrender something I don't want to do or I'm pushed further beyond what I'm comfortable doing. And, and here's the thing about any ideal picture of a church that we might have, who the people are that make up that church, it, it doesn't exist because we don't pick our family that it's full of people that, that we might not get along with. That it's full of people that, that just kind of rub us the wrong way. It's full of people that, man, we just have nothing in common. And yet that's not true because we're bonded together by blood and we have the greatest thing in common, which is Jesus. You see, I was once far off, but I've been brought near because of him. And so have you. And I was, I was lost, but I've been found. And, and so have you. I was dead, but now I am alive, and so are you. And the, the reality is that you and I, who might not have crossed paths otherwise, have now been joined together to help each other to live this life that Jesus has called us to. Now, I, I know this is hard. It's hard to go into a place that, that doesn't always line up with our preferences, I mean, I think about how much of our lives are defined by the ability to evaluate, to make sure things line up with how we want them. 
Like, like the, the, I don't want to have a risky restaurant experience. I, I want it to go well. And so I can hop online and look at reviews and see, uh, does it line up with what I want tonight to look like? And if it doesn't, then I can add my review to it and say, this did not go right. Or, or even this is the off-season for a lot of sports, so we've spent this time evaluating. Did, did, the team, did your team make the right moves? Oh, they should, never should have. They never should have signed this player, or they should have gotten this guy instead. All the while, we are assessing to see, does it line up with how we think things should go? Or schools, there's so many education options. As you're thinking for your child, which one is the right? Putting them up against each other to see which one will line up exactly how I want it to. Or going off to college, doing something similar. Or even just the fact that there's so many places that you can design sunglasses and furniture and clothes and and all these other things without ever having to leave your house, tailor-making them to line up with your preferences. Now, now there's so much of of this that's good. We want to make wise decisions. We we want to have things that, that make us happy. But with so much of our life feeding into aligning with our preferences... I think it just makes it so hard to turn them off when we come to church. That that we show up and asking the question, can I find better preaching online? Let let me tell you, you always will be able to. Is the music exactly what I want it to look like? Because otherwise I can go to the church down the street or the church down the street or the church down the street and so on and so on. Is there a group that perfectly lines up with what I'm looking for? You know, like early to mid-30s men meeting every other Thursday, let's say, maybe every third Thursday, depending on schedule. They meet 6.48 to like 8.03 p.m. Uh, and it's full of people who don't want to share too much so they don't make it all about them, but, but willing to lead it so I don't really have to uh, and not, not have to get too much out of my shell, but just, just enough nudgings to where they're there if I need them, but not asking too much of me. See, if we have these, these things that we're always looking for in a church, we are missing out on what the church is called to do for us and with us. Now, now this can sound really bad and manipulative, so, so don't, don't let me misspeak on this. It, for we, there is an aspect for evaluating in church. If I am not uh, fulfilling this role in a way that aligns with what the Bible says I'm supposed to do, I need to be held accountable for that. If we as a church are holding anything other than Scripture as our sole authority, we've got to throw the whole thing out. So there is a place for evaluating to biblical standards, but it's different than going in and having preferences, having things that we expect to happen for us, because that's not what the role of the church is. Because we don't pick our family. Instead, what we find is that there is a family that we were picked for, we, we don't always have people that, that, have, uh, that align with our preferences and what we like, but instead we are joined together by something even greater than, than interests, and that's the blood of Jesus. That we come together not constantly pursuing what, what is better, what, what's, what's the best teaching, what's the best music, not, not these things that line up exactly how we like it, but instead it's the realization that we are joined together with our differences for the shared goal of living and helping each other live for Jesus. That was a really long point too, so we need to speed it up for the rest of the points. We are called to love one another because we, uh, in response to God's love for us, because we have been joined, and number three, because we need relationships. We love one another because we need relationships. 
And, and this is one of those to where we hear like, yeah, I know. Like we, we all know that we need other people in our life. Even the most introverted of us know this to be true. Like we've tried it before and it didn't really work or, or we're lost about how to form these friendships, especially as adults, it's become more and more difficult to form friends or, or we've been hurt by, by it in the past. And while we know it's good for us, it's hard to join in, uh, to try, to trust again. Those are hard things. Or we know it's really important for us, but I'll do it once I have more room, more flexibility in my schedule. And yet it's the truth that's given to us right from the beginning pages of scripture. It is not good for a man to be alone. It's not good for a woman to be alone. That we need relationships. And this is one of those times where even people who don't hold to, they don't uh, trust in the Bible's authority, they still come to the same conclusion. Uh, back in May, the Surgeon General uh, came out with a report about the, the risk of premature death associated with loneliness in the United States. He, he called it an, a loneliness an epidemic. So the risk, he, he equated, the risk of premature death due to loneliness in the United States is the equivalence of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. A day. This comes with it a 29% increase in risk in heart disease, a 32% increased risk of stroke, and a 50% increased risk of de develop, developing dementia for older adults. We need people. We were designed to be with others, to know and be known by others. And, and this is what we talk about with the church being a gift to us, that it is a place that we can join together to live as Jesus called us to. It is a place that we can find others who might be radically different than us, but they help us to live in this way that God has called us to. Fourth reason why we love one another is to fulfill the one another's that we find in scripture. I mean, you read through the Bible and there, there's all of these other one another. So we, we saw love one another in 1 John 4, John 13. And yet all of these other commands that we are called to do for each other flow out of loving one another. And we have them listed. We're, we're called to live in harmony with one another, to greet, to care for, to serve, to bear with one another, to be kind, to submit, to forgive, to teach and admonish one another, to encourage and build up, to stir, to love and good works, to confess sins and pray for one another. I, I should tell you that this is not an exhaustive list. This is just what I could put together quickly. All throughout the Bible, we are called to do things with and for one another, that this is how we are living, and they flow out of our love for one another. But let me ask, let me ask us this, how do we live in harmony, which we're called to do from scripture, how do we live in harmony with one another if we don't know one another? How do we stir up each other to love and good works? If, if I don't know how you're gifted, you don't know how I'm gifted, how do we do this for one another if we don't know how God has made each other? How, how do we confess sins and pray for one another if there's no one close enough to us to hold us accountable to the way God has called us to live? We're giving these calls of what this life looks like that happens when we are joined together, growing together, but we cannot do this if we don't know each other. And as we look over this list, there's so many things that we look at and I'm like, man, I would love to have that in my life. 
I, I would love to have people bearing with me. I would love to have people stirring me up to love and good works. I would love to have someone who can help hold me accountable. I, I, can, I would love to have someone who, who would be able to care for, for me. But we find that in, in a church. But not just what we receive, but the ability to do this in the lives of others as well. Flowing out of our love for one another is exactly what we're called to do. A uh, final reason why we love one another is that it is part of God's work. We love one another as part of God's work. And this is an extension of that, ide- uh, that idea I was just making. So we are cared for and we care for others in the church. We bear with others and we are bared with by others. And as we do so, we are part of the work that God is doing in each other's lives and in this world. John 13, 35, one more, said, uh, one more time says, uh, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So it's the love that we have for one another that makes God's love known. That we are known to be following him and all that that entails by how we are loving one another. So the person that we are with is, is being shown a picture of Jesus' love by how we are loving them. Our love is an extension of the work uh, that God is doing in their lives that he is doing through us. How do we reach the nations? How do we reach our city? Well, it starts by what we're doing here. The love that we have for one another here is the means by which God reaches out to the world. Uh, A former professor of mine wrote this. He says, this is the remarkable fact. The church, in both word and deed, and what we say and what we do, is the means by which God will love and care for and nurture his church and reach out to the world. The people of God are not only the recipients of the love of God, so you have received God's love, but also become the expression of the love of God to others. So, so let me recap all that we've talked about this morning. As we look throughout the series, we, we talked about how the Bible is our authority. It's the word of God. We looked at God who in and of himself, just by his nature, is worthy of all praise and, and obedience. That we had turned away from him, and yet Jesus is the one who came and brought us near. That by his death, by him going to the cross, by him paying for our sins with his blood, we are given life. We are saved from our sins and saved to new life in him. And that Jesus, that one that we just talked about, who, who saved us through, uh, through his work, uh, who is worthy of all allegiance, in his authoritative work, uh, word in the Bible, says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. So the question for us is, are we in a position where we're keeping this commandment? Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another are we keeping his commandment? And, and we might say, uh, yeah, there, there, was a, there was a time that, that I showed a, a lot of love for uh, people in the past. Like, that's so good, but that's not keeping Jesus' commandment. Like, yeah, when, when something comes up, I, I show care for other people, I, I show love, certainly. It's like, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. That's not keeping Jesus' commandment. Or we, we tried in the past and, and it didn't quite work out. It, it was hard. We got burned Relationships are tricky, and I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry about that. But we're still called to keep Jesus' commandment, to love one another. See, it's not love one another when it's convenient, 
when it's mutually beneficial, when something comes up that happens to line up well with my calendar. It's to be in a state of love for one another that that becomes our identity marker. That anyone at any time can look in and see love for one another. The world will, uh, people will know you are my disciples. Not by how we're singing, not by what we're teaching out of, but by our love for one another. To be in a state of that. To be in a spot where we are known and to know other people. That when hardship comes along, that we are not left in that alone. When something incredible happens, we have someone to share that joy with. That when there is a lack, that there are people coming around to give resources and support in those times. That uh, when we don't know what to do, there's others who can offer encouragement and guidance with what they've seen in the past. That, That when we're desperate for a relationship, we find it with people that we have been joined with here. That as someone, uh, uh, when, as, as, as we don't know what God might be having for us, we can turn to each other for support and care. In, the to- in these times and others, we need the love of one another, and it's in those times that we're commanded to love one another. And this is hard. It's messy. As we said, we're never going to be in a group of people that is exactly like how we would want it to be. We're never going to be in a church where all of our preferences are met. There's going to be situations that we don't know what to do for help, and that's, that's uncomfortable. Or we don't know what to ask for from other people. Is it too much? Is it too much to ask for this? Am I being too needy? And that's, that's hard for us to weigh through it that we might be having a really good day and we get a phone call from someone at church who's gone through tragedy and it just shatters that good day for us. Like These are messy things. They're hard and uncomfortable and yet it's death without it. The Christian life is not one that we can do on our own. It is impossible. And so as we come here, this isn't just something that, f- that fills a spot on our calendar. We, we don't come here as a moment to get a spiritual high. And when we forget about what the purpose of church is, when we try to design it to be something else, well, we do crazy things when, uh, when we forget who we are. That we don't come here as spiritual elites, that we don't come here to be a good person, but we come because we are desperate for it to be joined together as we grow together. So when we try and do the Christian life on our own, we can't. We're either ignoring large sections of the Bible that say what we're to do for one another, or we're burning out. And this is why as Jesus is going to the cross, he is giving the instruction that he knows that we will need. Love one another. Because you can't do this life alone. As I am gone, As I depart this world, you will need each other to live in response to me. Because the grace of Jesus doesn't stop at the cross. The grace of Jesus is that as we are gathered together at the foot of the cross, we are not left alone. We're not left on our own. We instead have a community of people around us to help us live in response to him. Now, I know when we talk about commandments, it's, it's hard. Like, okay, so now I, I, I just need to make sure I'm checking this box. I, I need to make sure I'm, I'm fulfilling this commandment. It's, it's a reminder that none of this is to earn anything. 
that we join together as a community of people, not, not to fulfill some obligation, but recognizing it as the gift that it is, that in community we are reminding ourselves of who Jesus is, what he's done, as we build each other up, growing in his likeness. We have an opportunity right now to do that, at least in part, as we take communion together. Communion is a time that we look at what has Jesus done on our behalf? What has he accomplished where we could not? See, on the night where, where Jesus was uh, betrayed and arrested, as he goes to the cross on our behalf, as he pays the penalty for our sins, he was with his disciples and he was telling exactly what it was that he was supposed to do or that he was going to do. And he, and he took the bread that was at the table and he, and he broke it and he says, this is my body that's given for you. So how do we find salvation? How is, what is, on what basis are we brought together? How is it that we were far off, have now been brought near? It's, well, Jesus has died on our behalf. But he didn't stop there. How do we know that this is true? How do we know that this really accomplishes what he said it would? Well, he took the cup. He said, this is a new covenant, a promise that this is real that this is what's ha- what will happen. It's by my blood. That this is kept. It's not something that we need to hope. Maybe it will be kept. It has already been paid in full through the blood of Jesus. As we take communion, it's an opportunity for us to pause and stop and reflect. Where in my life am I falling short of what Jesus has called me to do? Where in my life have I been uh, trying to live on my own, not following the way that he has for me that's for his good and for his glory? Well, we confess of those things right now. But it's also a time for us to pause and reflect anew on what Jesus has accomplished, the grace that he has so lavishly given to you. So we'll have a moment to pause and reflect. And then uh, when, when you're ready, I invite you to come to one of our three stations that we have, two in the front, one in the back, where you can come as an individual or a family and take the elements there. Start with the cracker, representing Jesus' body given for you. Then we go to the cup, the new covenant that Jesus gives by his blood. You can take communion there, head back to your seat, and after a little bit, we'll continue worshiping through music. But let me pray as we go. Father, we are so grateful for your grace upon grace upon grace that we could not save ourselves, and so you did. This life that we live in response to you is hard, impossible to do it on our own, and so you don't make us do that. You've given us each other, a community of people that we love in response to you because we've been joined together, because we need relationships, because it's, it's here that we fulfill all that you've called us to do in life. And it's because you include us as part of your work as we love. That you've given us the grace of salvation, the grace of new life, the grace of continued mercies and reminders of who you are and what you've done. As we follow you imperfectly, we are so grateful that you've included us with these other imperfect people joined together, growing in response to you. So it's to you and you alone we pray.